This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Kelsey Waddell, and I am the Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Extelligent Healthcare Media. Interest in the home healthcare space has exploded in recent years, and with this growing attention, the care delivery model itself has evolved. Organizations have been exploring ways to further integrate the home as a site of care in an effort to lower costs and improve patient experience and patient outcomes. Dr. Chris Dodd, Chief Medical Officer at Amkara Health, has advocated for the model of care that Amkara Health offers, in-home advanced primary care. He's joining us today to break down what in-home primary care is and how it fits into the healthcare ecosystem. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Before we even get into the meat of this conversation, Chris, we were talking a little bit earlier about the difference between home health care and in-home primary care, which is what Ankara Health specializes in. Could you just sort of outline for the audience real fast, what is the distinction between those two things and how does Ankara Health approach care? Absolutely. Yeah. So for those of us who aren't so wise, most of us have not had the opportunity to have our PCP visit us in the home setting to deliver care. So the way that we've thought of home health care is really traditional home health. And the way to think about that is a lot of people, when they're discharged from the hospital, they've become weaker during their inpatient stay. They may have had a fracture or a fall. And so when they get home, their physician orders home health. And so you may have a physical therapist visit you, an occupational therapist, maybe even a speech therapist if you've had a stroke, or if you have a wound, you might have a nurse come by to do wound care. So that's, I think, how most of us today think about home health care. But what we do at Encara Health is really when you think about the care you receive from your primary care provider and team in a traditional bricks and mortar clinic, that's us taking all of that care and much more and bringing it to our patients in their home. So that's the distinction. Thank you. Yeah, and I know home health care has been something that has been playing a key role in our approach to healthcare. specifically trying to figure out how to do that during the pandemic was pretty challenging. And now as we're emerging from the depths of the pandemic, kind of reshaping how we think about that, it sounds like in-home primary care sounds like it has a different take on that kind of care. So I know that Amkara Health recently had a partnership with a large regional health plan that sort of aimed to improve care for Medicare Advantage members. Could you talk a little bit about that partnership and what its goals were? Yeah, I would love to. And it's actually still an active partnership. And it's one that's been going on for, I think, five plus years. So really excited about the durability of the partnerships that we're forming with payer partners, as well as with risk-bearing provider group partners. So five or so years ago, you know, we had the opportunity, I think, to talk to the team at this large, you know, regional health plan. And the reason they came to us is because they were recognizing that their highest risk cohort, those who were sort of persistently high cost or rising risk, that they were still having a hard time generating high quality of care, as well as reducing unnecessary utilization, which of course is directly tied to higher total cost of care. And so they were really excited to bring us in, in a way that we would complement both the assets and capabilities that the plan had, you know, thinking about 
complex care managers, for example, but also their network. This is a plan that has the vast majority of its Medicare Advantage membership affiliated with value-based providers. But despite that, and the value that those value-based providers were bringing in terms of experience and quality and total cost of care, those patients still had unnecessary utilization. And so they were excited to bring us in in a way that, again, complemented their assets and capabilities and also worked to really augment and enhance the great care that their sort of traditional bricks and mortar primary care network was delivering. So could you talk a little bit about then what happened? What outcomes did you see from that partnership as you, as you said, tried to complement and and augment what their providers were already doing, but in the home? Yeah. So one of the things that's important to say is that the way we think about our care model is really that we deliver advanced primary care. And the reason we call it advanced is because it's not just a provider-focused model that focuses on medical conditions. It's one that really looks at an individual person and looks at them in a very comprehensive way and says, yes, what are the medical conditions that they have that they need help with? Uncontrolled diabetes, heart failure, COPD, for example. Do they have any unmet behavioral health needs? Are they struggling with a substance use disorder? Do they have a mental health condition that's not being adequately treated? Are they facing social barriers like transportation? Are they struggling with, you know, getting healthy food to eat? So we've really created a care model that is comprehensive. And then most importantly, is multidisciplinary, has the human resources on the team that are necessary to approach care across that sort of medical, behavioral, and social spectrum. And so the care that we're able to deliver, we're actually able to deliver that both as the PCP of record, but also as a collaborating provider. So a lot of patients don't have a PCP and we're able to fulfill that need, but many more already have a PCP and we're able to then collaborate with that community-based bricks and mortar PCP and really serve as a wrapper to enhance the care they're providing. So in this case, with the large health plan in the Northeast, their ask of us was to actually serve as a collaborator. They didn't have an interest in us being the PCP of record. And so we came in as a collaborator. And what we do with the plan partner is we use our predictive analytics to really identify the population that's most going to benefit from our care delivery model. So these are persistently high cost patients who are not going to what we call regress to the mean with no intervention, right? They're high cost this year, next year, and they're going to be high cost the following year. We're also looking at patients that are rising risk, using machine learning models and such, finding characteristics and qualities of patients that then identify those folks who are low cost this year, but are going to become high cost next year. And so every year we work with that payer partner to identify a population that we then outreach to, engage, and then enroll in care, and then deliver care to them over the course of about 12 to 18 months. And the exciting thing that we're showing is that, first of all, one of the things we're most proud of, and actually we think is really key to our success, is that our patients love us. So in this relationship, as really across our national medical group, we have an MPS score, a net promoter score that's in the 80s, which means that, you know, eight out of 10 times our patients are saying, I would recommend you to a family, friend, or loved one. And so that's really exciting. So 
that patient experience that we're creating is really a great driver of what we call the CAPS sort of outcome at the payer level, which is the you know consumer assessment of healthcare providers and systems. And so the experience we're driving really helps plans generate better experience metrics for themselves. And then on a total cost of care perspective, we actually, with this payer partner, saw a reduction consistently year in and year out. We're now five years in. That's anywhere from 10 to 20% reduction in total cost of care for that given cohort over usually a 12-month period. Excellent. Wow. When talking to payers or other stakeholders in the industry, I, I think one of the things that always comes to mind when trying to implement some new strategy is what is the return on investment, including in home health care and I assume in, in home primary care as well. So can you talk a little bit about what you look for when you're trying to assess the return on investment in a solution like this? This is one of the things we're most proud of, actually, is that we have prioritized and invested in from a time, but also expertise perspective in using a very rigorous outcomes methodology to generate the value that we're creating. And so a simple way of sort of explaining that would be with this payer partner, let's say we identify 10,000 people that are the highest risk members of their population. And then we will outreach and engage and care for probably 4,000 of those people. And so then the way that we do the outcomes analysis is we'll take the 4,000 people that we have the privilege of caring for for that 12 months, let's say, and then we will compare their outcomes to the 6,000 people who were also identified but did not get care from us. And so in that way, we're really reducing all the other factors that could lead to different outcomes and really isolating us as the intervention, right? COVID happens. Well, it happened to all 10,000 people. Time of the year, well, it was the same time of the year for all those, for that entire population. Chronic conditions, well, the chronic conditions were similar. You get the idea, right? So it's a like population, and the only different variable really is the care that we're providing. So in terms of ROI, for us, ROI is kind of a funny term, right? It's critically important obviously your return on investment. But what we like to talk more about is total cost of care reduction, patient experience and quality. We've talked about the NPS of in the 80s. We've talked about the total cost of care reduction of 10 to 20% consistently. The ROIs tend to be around two to three, upwards to four in certain relationships. But at the end of the day, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars in total cost of care reduction. So that ROI may seem like a little bit on the low side, potentially, say it's 2.3, um, but the reality is it's tens of millions of dollars in, in cost reduction for things that didn't need to happen otherwise. Great, thank you. You mentioned up at the top that you know one of the goals here is seeing a lot of high cost patients that that are just consistently going to be high cost across the board, and so bringing down the cost of care for these kinds of populations of patients is a major driver across the industry, but can be a major aim, it sounds like, of an in-home primary care service as well. And so I'm curious, you know, when you're trying to do that, what challenges are in-home primary care providers facing when they're trying to bring down these costs and apply care or deliver care in a way that achieves that goal? Absolutely. So one of the things that I think is really important and one of the reasons why our partners choose us is because of that predictive analytics capability, right? To identify the right population that responds to this sort of innovative, sort of reimagined care delivery model. 
and the fine point there is really not only people that are persistently high cost and rising risk, but people who are impactable, right? They have conditions that are manageable and modifiable through the type of care that we provide. So that's that's one thing that I think is is challenging, but one thing that we've really worked to master. I think the second factor is we certainly have been talking about behavioral health for some time. It's quite the buzz these days, and it's good that it's the buzz because it matters, right? When we look at populations, we see that for folks that are living with a behavioral health condition, that their costs are two to three X. And so we've increasingly been enhancing the integration of behavioral health into our care model, by specifically with behavioral health care managers who are able to deliver short interventions and then really upskilling our core care teams from providers to nurses to community health workers to be able to assess patients for depression and anxiety symptoms and then to actually monitor them toward uh, target, as we'd say, like getting their depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder under control. And we see that once we're able to do that, we're actually then able to better control their diabetes, heart failure, keep them healthy home out of the hospital. I'd say another challenge is really the social aspect. If all somebody's concerned about is the fact that the power company is going to turn off their electricity in winter in upstate New York, or that they can't actually get to see the specialist, the cardiologist that they need to see, you know, the rest of it's really not that important, right? They don't have healthy food to eat and they've got uncontrolled diabetes. So social barriers are something that we've focused on. And we've really done that through the community health worker role, which is local, understands the community um, where their patients live and are the key sort of bridges to connecting them with community-based organizations to really overcome some of those social barriers. Those are just a handful I could go on, but yeah. Yeah. I always like to ask about partnership because we talk with so many different stakeholders across the industry on healthcare strategies. And I think that, you know, partnership is at the core of a lot of both the challenges and the progress that we're making in healthcare right now. So when you look at the partnership between payers and providers on in-home primary care, what are some of the strategies that payers and providers should be implementing in order to provide better patient-centered, low-cost in-home primary care? And are there any other partners that should be coming to the table in order to facilitate that? All right. So I love your question because it, it gives me an opportunity to talk about something that I'm incredibly passionate about, which is when I think about the U.S. healthcare delivery system, I think about sort of a Jackson Pollock painting, <laughs> right? Which is like he used the inkblot technique. And so when you look at one of those canvases, you see a bunch of color, right? But you also tend to see a lot of white space, right? But when you look at it, you're like, wow, this really looks complex. It's fragmented. It doesn't look coordinated. It's random. And there's a lot of white space, like I said, right? Where people aren't having their needs met. And so that to me is like a perfect analogy for the delivery system. It's fragmented, it's uncoordinated, it's complex, it's overwhelming to people like me, let alone vulnerable populations. And then people aren't having their needs met. And so I think when you think about partnerships, right, and again, my bias as a primary care physician is going to come out here, but we keep searching for these little point solutions and not to diminish the importance of some of that work, but what we're doing is we're actually increasing the complexity of the system. 
We're increasing the administrative burden from a cost perspective, and we're not actually increasing patient experience and certainly not getting the health outcomes that we know we need to get, let alone bending the cost curve. To me, the foundational partnership and what's most important is with the primary care provider and that we should enable primary care providers to bring under their umbrella as much of the continuum of care delivery as we can and let them be the true quarterbacks of care. Mm -hmm. Now that said, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. I mean, I love the hospital at home movement mm -hmm. and what's gonna be most amazing about hospital at home is that when hospital at home is linked to home-based primary care, and we're able to actually admit people to hospital at home from their home. Because what's typically happening today in the community is people are in the ED, they meet criteria for admission, then they're sending them home. People are admitted to the hospital already, they're sending them home to reduce their length of stay. The most powerful approach will be to have a home-based primary care group like us know that somebody's in need, they meet inpatient criteria and to be able to deliver inpatient care in the home without them having to even go to the emergency department. So that's one sort of partnership that I think latches on to this comprehensive advanced primary care model in the home that could be incredibly valuable. That's excellent. You had talked about in the beginning that, you know, you worked with this larger health plan to provide a wraparound solution and that is currently part of your model. But I'm curious when you look to the future of in-home primary care, do you see this as becoming a full-time in-the-home solution as opposed to these wraparound solutions? Or is that wraparound aspect always going to be a part of this kind of care? Thank you for that question, yeah. So one of the things that's important about MCARA Health to know is that we like to say we've been doing in-home primary care before it became cool, right? We're so thankful that people through the unfortunate circumstance of the pandemic have understood the importance of getting care in the home, especially if you're vulnerable. We've known that for nine years, right? And we've been hard at work demonstrating that no matter whether you're a young mother with diabetes and struggling with mental health, or if you're a senior that's you know at risk of falls and living alone and having a hard time managing their diabetes, that an in-home primary care model really makes a difference. And so absolutely see a growing acceptance and need and impact of a home-based primary care model. But what I'd say is that there's a way to approach that in the sense that you can be the sole primary care provider for patients if they need it, right? So think about people who have those uh, logistical barriers to get to the bricks and mortar office. Think about people who are homebound. Those people could benefit from their PCP of record delivering care in the home. Other people who end up in a crisis for one reason or another, they may benefit from more of a short-term solution that really gets them moved from crisis to stability, and then they're able to do okay going back to their traditional primary care delivery model. So in that sense, I think you know my response is that the communities we live in need both models. There's a portion of the population that needs full-on primary care for the duration of their life in-home. And then there are others that could greatly benefit from it over the short term. And when I say short term, I mean 12 to 18 months. 
Mm-hmm. You'd also touched on and very briefly talked about how the health plan that you're working with, you know, they already had this value-based plan model in place with their providers that were contracted, and then they added you into that. And so I'm just curious how this kind of model interacts with the value-based insurance design as a whole and, and how you see it fitting into that. So unfortunately, this stuff can get a little bit complicated, but I actually think it's more simple than we make it. So here's how we think about it. If you're a payer and ultimately you want a network of the highest performing providers and you want to move them down the value-based continuum where they have the opportunity through better care to derive more savings, where they, as they deliver even more care, ultimately decide to take risk should things not go as well as we would hope. And ultimately be a full risk provider of care where they're responsible for all the medical costs associated with their population. What we're able to do is we're able to come in, work with the payer partner and see that attributing their population to value-based providers does make a difference. It reduces total cost of care by some amount. But what we're then able to do is say, by adding a home-based primary care wrapper to that population, we're able to further reduce the total cost of care. And so what's exciting about that, first and most importantly, the patient wins, right? They're healthier, they're staying out of the hospital, but then everyone else in the ecosystem also wins. The capitated primary care provider, there's more savings for them to enjoy that otherwise wouldn't have been generated. We too have the opportunity to, you know, make a living and also benefit from some of that total cost of care savings, as well as the payer partner. So in that sense, we see ourselves as an enhancement of this sort of movement to attribute more and more of a population to a value-based. Yeah, and and I I did want to ask the last question about coordination with the primary care provider, because I can imagine ways in which that can be both very helpful and challenging when you're servicing as a wraparound and doing the handoff back to that primary care provider and communicating with them. (laughs) Can you dig a little bit into how to facilitate strong coordination between sort of temporary providers and the permanent PCP quarterback, as it's often referred to. How would you recommend streamlining that line of communication? This is one of the things that we spend increasing amounts of time on, right? How to do this better and better, because it's so important. The reason we know it's so important is because we come at this as primary care providers ourselves. We understand the sacredness of the relationship between the PCP and the patient, and there's nothing that we want more than to enhance that, not to hinder it, not to impact it in a negative way. So we spend a lot of time building trust with the provider groups that are in our local communities, getting to know them, making sure they know who we are, that we are here to really be their eyes and ears in the home and to really, again, fill in some of the white space that unfortunately is not being filled in the current system. And so we'll ask them how they want to work together. Some of them are like, listen, thank you so much for your help with the most complex and challenging patients on my panel. Do your thing, keep me in the loop. I'll let you know if I have any feedback. Other PCPs say, Listen, outside of any urgent needs, you may see someone who's having a COPD exacerbation, please treat that, keep them out of the hospital. 
But when you're making any modifications to their usual medication regimen for COPD, please let me know. I'd love to sort of weigh in on the final decision. So we really try to tailor, you know, our partnership approach based on what the desires are of the PCP and that provider group. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on to Healthcare Strategies today. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah, look forward to the next time. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to me at kwadil at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.